It reads as follows. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lobadar. The king, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dog, for a dead dog such as I? Then the king, then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall shall till the land for him and bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons and Mephibosheth had a, had a young son whose name was Micah and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. You spent several weeks preaching and hearing and learning about the life of David if you've missed any of those sermons, I would encourage you to go to iTunes and download the podcast and know you will be blessed by them. You know, we've seen many admirable qualities in David's life up until this point. And indeed, we would do well if we even possessed such qualities and demonstrated them in our own life. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18, David is described like this, as one who is skillful in playing a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. First Samuel 17, David's courage and unwavering confidence, and the Lord is on full display as he defeats Goliath and the Philistine. In chapters 18 and 20 of 1 Samuel, we see David's love for his faithful friend, Jonathan. In chapters 24 and 26, we see the radical mercy and grace by David towards Saul, as he spares Saul's life, not once, but on two occasions. And then in chapter 30, we find David strengthening himself in the Lord and inquiring of the Lord as he de- defeats the Amalekites and recovers all that the Amalekites have taken. Wives, sons, daughters, spoil, and flock. David brought back all. 
And in 2 Samuel, after the death of Saul and Jonathan, following many years of conflict, David is finally anointed king over all of Israel and Judah. We see David as a true leader. The tribes of Israel acknowledges, acknowledges David's leadership in 2 Samuel, verse, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, and saying this, Times pass when Saul was king over us. It was you who led us, led us out and brought in Israel. Once again, we see David's dependence, see his reliance upon the Lord in defeating the Philistines at the end of this chapter 5 in 2 Samuel. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see David's zeal for the Lord and his determination to celebrate before the Lord. Note here in this chapter, David is rejoicing, he's dancing, he's shouting, and he's leaping. He's doing all these things unashamedly and in response to the reoccurring of the ark of the Lord. And we know that the ark represented the presence of the Lord. We know the new covenant, the church, that God's presence is here among us. So just as a note here, that's why I encourage, rejoice and dance and shout and leap because the Lord is here. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive even now. So may we all follow this quality in David and rejoice and celebrate the Lord. And next in chapter 7, verse, um, chapter 7 in Second Samuel, we see David's desire to honor the Lord by building a house for the Lord to dwell in. We see David's humility, his gratitude, in response to the Lord's covenant with him. And finally, last week in chapter 8, we saw David prospering well. Like Samuel chapter 8, verse 15 says this, So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. You might even say this, if Twitter existed at these times, David would surely be trending. For those of you who don't know what Twitter is, please ask the good deacon Lee Fyron. <laughs> <laughs> As we approach 2 Samuel chapter 9, our text for this morning, I believe and I am convinced that we see David at his best in his display of kindness towards Mephibosheth. Out of all of David's qualities that we mentioned, I, think, I believe that it's his kindness that shines the brightest. Furthermore, it is in this passage that David gives us a glimpse of the divine kindness that is shown to us in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us now turn our focus to this morning's text in chapter 9, where David shows us what it looks like when the divine is kind. The first thing we learn about divine kindness is that divine kindness is unnatural. David seeks to show an unnatural kindness to what would be a natural enemy. Note in the beginning of verse 1 to whom it is that David desires to show this kindness. David said, is there anyone, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? Now, if we know the history, and if you've been here, if we've been covering the life of David, we know that Saul and the house of, all, house of Saul, meaning his family, excluding Jonathan, were opposed to David. So let us just take a moment to recall a few of the exchanges between Saul and David. After David's defeat of Goliath, we recall, Saul became jealous of David. It was Saul who slayed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So we see in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 10 and 11, Saul, with his spear in his hand, he hurls the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. So we see here, at least twice already, that Saul has attempted to take David's life. And then we see another interchange between 
David and Saul in 1 Samuel 18. We have Saul here offering Michael, his daughter, to David for a bride price of 100 Philistine foreskins in order that he in order that he would make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So we can see here that Saul is trying to set David up, thinking that he would fall. But as we know, David did get the 100-plus foreskins of the Philistine. But to end of chapter 18, verse 29, we can see in summary here that Saul was David's enemy continually. In a nutshell, there you have it. But it doesn't stop there. After he tries to pin him to the wall twice, after he sets David up to fall by the Philistines, we're about to 1 Samuel chapter 19. Once again, we see David defeating the Philistines. And once again, we see Saul throwing his spear at David. But this time, Saul doesn't stop with the spear. He he attempts to, uh, in 1 Samuel 19.15, he attempts to bring messengers to David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And then again, in 1 Samuel 23, we see Saul summoning all the people to war to go down to Keilah where David was staying and to besiege David and his men. But again, David flees. And then again in chapter 24 in 1 Samuel, we see Saul. He takes 3,000 chosen men out of Israel. He goes down to seek David and his men. And this marks the first time that David spares Saul's life. Then we know that Saul ends his pursuit for now. Then again, we see in chapter 26 in 1 Samuel, once again, Saul arises. He goes down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Once again, we see David sparing Saul's life. And after Saul and Jonathan die, you think the conflict would end. But again, we see in 2 Samuel, the conflict continues on. After David is anointed king of Judah, we see in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites, Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all of Israel. So again, we see conflict between the house of David and the house of Saul. In 2 Samuel verse, chapter 3, verse 1, sums it up. There was a long war between who? The house of Saul and the house of David. It's not until the murder of Saul's son, Ishbosheth that David is anointed king over all of Israel. Not only do we have this history of conflict between the house of Saul and the house of David, we also need to keep in mind that in these days it was natural for a king or incoming king to wipe out the predecessor's family. And we see examples of this in the Bible in 1 Kings. We see Basha conspiring against Nadab, the king of Israel, the son of Jeroboam. Basha kills Nadab, 1 Kings 15, 29. And as soon as he was king, he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He left to the house of Jeroboam, not one that breathed until he had destroyed it. We see again in in 1 Kings chapter 16, Zimri. Zimri kills Elah, the son of Basha. 1 Kings 16, 11. When Zimri began to reign, as soon as he had seated himself on his throne, he struck down all the house of Basha. He did not leave him a single male of his relatives or his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the house of Basha. See, annihilation of ruling families was common practice in Israel. Eliminating all future claimants to the throne made it more likely that the kingship would be kept in the family. If David were like any of these kings, he'd be crying whether there was anyone left of the house of Saul, not that he would show kindness to, but that he might kill them. 
Considering the hostility shown towards David you know, by Saul and this practice of annihilating ruling families, we wouldn't expect David to show such kindness towards the house of Saul. So why does, why does David desire to show kindness towards the house of the Saul? And we see that David shows kindness to the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake. We see that at the end of verse 1. Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So if we remember back from 1 Samuel chapter 20, that David and Jonathan were in covenant. We see here in verses 13 and 17, as Jonathan speaks to David, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. And the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Brothers and sisters, by nature, we are enemies of God. And we see this in Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 3. It says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were enemies of God by nature. Too many times we often forget this truth, that we are opposed to God, that we often look on externals and say, well, that person is, is worshiping God, that person is going to church. They are giving, they're reading their Bibles. But no, it is clear, it is truth, is that by nature, we are not good people. We are not morally neutral. No, and then the fall with Adam, when Adam fell, we all fell in Adam. We've all fell into sin. And our enemies of God, just let that sit in. We were enemies of God. That's one thing to be enemy of an opponent or of a person whom you might have a chance of defeating. But when you're an enemy of God, you don't have a shot. There's no hope. There is nothing you can do. When God is against you, that's it. But praise God, we can say that God is for us. What can man do to us? So what if God had left us in this state? But, as we see in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, the but, the glorious but, God shows kindness to those who were his enemies. To me, to you who were once his enemies, God has shown us kindness with this glorious truth. But God... 
words to just soothe our soul and our conscience, but God being rich in what? Mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show their measurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, we receive this divine kindness through Jesus Christ. Once we were his enemies, God is rich in mercy. He's rich in this kindness. He's rich in this steadfast love. And he has shown it to us through Christ. You see, Mephibosheth, he was saved because of Jonathan. But we are saved because of Jesus. You see, David and Jonathan had a covenant. You see here, God and God's people have a covenant. You see this in Jeremiah in chapter 31, this covenant, this new covenant that God makes with his people. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, we receive this divine kindness because we receive the covenant you're partakers in this covenant. God is our God. We are God's people. We belong to God. You see, in Matthew 26, we see this new covenant. We see Jesus Christ is sealing this covenant in his blood. Matthew 26, verse 28, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many, for the forgiveness of sins. Because of this covenant, because of Christ's shed blood and atoning death, We've received the forgiveness of sins. So now what? So we've received this kindness. We who were once God's enemies. So what should we do? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That we should put on kindness. When you're thinking about in the morning, what you should wear, maybe the first thing you should put on is kindness because you've received it. What else? Well, we are called to show kindness, in particular to our enemies. See in Romans chapter 12, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Because we are enemies of God and God has shown us kindness, therefore, we should show our enemies kindness. Again, we see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, the words of our Lord Jesus. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We see here, we've received this kindness. One of the evidences that we receive this kindness is that we would be kind towards others. Next point, we see when we learn about the divine kindness. Divine kindness is unsolicited. You see, Mephibosheth, he's not seeking kindness from David. Rather, David is seeking to show kindness to Mephibosheth. David is determined to show kindness 
to the house of Saul. We see this in verse 1 where he says, is there anyone, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? And then we see David asking Ziba, who was a servant of the house of Saul, says, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? See, David, he's not just satisfied just knowing that there's someone from the house of Saul is still alive, right? He inquires about this person's whereabouts in verse 14, in verse four, right? And we see David, he says, okay, well, where is he? See, again, David, he doesn't just stop at knowing that someone from the house of Saul is still alive, nor does he stop just at knowing um, where that someone is, but rather he takes action. And we see that in verse five, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Emil at Lodabar. So we see David in here, it's almost a desperation that he's seeking. He's saying, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul? Is there someone alive? Okay, well then, where is he? Okay, well, bring him to me. So we see David is not complacent. He is determined to show kindness to someone from the house of Saul. We could learn something from this. We often have good intentions, but we must be careful not to let our good intentions turn into idle talk. I pray that East Point Church would be people, if you desire to show kindness and good, whether it's to your enemy or to your neighbor, that you're not sitting there just waiting until the opportune time to do it, that you do it because we are commanded show kindness. We have received kindness, so therefore we should show this kindness. In 1 John, we're reminded of this. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We know James chapter 2, verse 14 says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? See here, we could talk that we love someone, we can talk about our, our good intentions and our plans and, and just talk, and it's just, it's just idle. But I pray that just as we received love, just as, as David was seeking out Mephibosheth, he didn't stop until he was able to demonstrate kindness toward Mephibosheth, that we wouldn't stop in our intentions until we're able to display the kindness that was shown to us. Again, just as Mephibosheth was not seeking David, nor are we seeking the son of David. You know, and we know this, Romans 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. See, often we use the terminology, we say, well, when I found Jesus, and I kind of know, we understand what we mean by that. But if we want to be biblically accurate, right, theologically correct, is Jesus found us. We were the ones that were lost. We weren't looking for Jesus. As a matter of fact, we were running away from him. But he came, and he sought us, and he found us. And you see, this, this text in Romans, this is why the the seeker-sensitive church model, it's unbiblical because people aren't seeking after Jesus. They think oftentimes we get this confused. 
don't get it twisted. You see, there are people who are seeking God, but they're seeking God for his gifts. They're not seeking God for himself. And I pray that would not be true of anyone in this place this morning. We see an example of this in, in the book of John, in the gospel of John, verse six, chapter six, verses 26 and 27. And after Jesus had performed the miracle of the feeding of the, of the 4,000, 5,000, um, he says, and, and they follow him. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus says this, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. Right? And we remember, this is where Jesus says, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Many at this point, they left him. See, they didn't come seeking after Jesus for Jesus that they might have life. It's like Jesus for the bread that perishes, for the gifts. Again, just as David, he sought Mephibosheth and he found Mephibosheth. Jesus sought and he found us. We know that's why Jesus came, right? We see that. Well, from our sermon series in Mark, we also see in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the son of man came to do what? He came to seek and to save the lost. Others, this helps us. We were lost. But Jesus came into the world to seek. He didn't stop there. He saved. Even us. The hymn writer of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing had it right. It says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. You know, a true seeker-sensitive church is this. It's a church that is sensitive in seeking that the divine seeker, Jesus Christ, that he's preached, that he's, he, that he's exalted. This is what we should seek. This is what we should be sensitive to in our ministry or anything that we do, is that Jesus is exalted, that Jesus is glorified. So we continue on here. We see David continuing to search. We see that once David, once it's communicated to David that Mephibosheth is crippled, we see that David, he doesn't end his search for someone from the house of Saul. He continues. We see that when Mephibosheth is crippled, we can kind of relate to this in a spiritual sense that God sees us and he knows that we are crippled spiritually. We've been corrupted, that we are tainted by sin. Let's say that we are spiritual cripples. So what does the Lord see when he looks down from heaven? What does he see? Psalm 14, verse 2, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. You see here, we are not just innocent, precious children of God outside of the grace of God in Christ. Sometimes the world will say we're just neutral. When you hear 
sayings that, oh, we're all God's children. God, he loves everyone. No, all you have to do is pick up the newspaper, turn, out, turn on the news, right? We are sinners. We have sinned. The world has fallen. If we know our own hearts, we can testify to this. We too struggle with sin. We sin against the Lord our God. More accurate, instead of precious little children, you know what we're like? We're more like the unwanted child. In the wanted child that Ezekiel describes in his indictment against Israel, in Ezekiel chapter 16, it says this, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes, cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field for you are aboard on the day that you were, you were born, on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. See, that's more of an accurate depiction of what we were like when God sought us out. The Lord didn't seek us because we were something beautiful. We were something precious. He sought us because he is a beautiful savior, wonderful counselor, clothed in majesty, Lord of history, right? You guys know this song. You're the way, the truth, and the life, star of the morning, glorious in holiness. You're the risen one, heaven's champion, and you reign. You reign over all. You see, the Lord Jesus is the beautiful one. He saved us because he is good, not because we are good. He's shown us kindness, not because it was something that we deserved. There was something that he found in us or because of our works, because of his works, because he is good. He is kind. And we are recipients of this divine kindness. What else do we learn about? this divine kindness. We see the divine kindness, but it's, it's undeserved. The kindness that Mephibosheth receives from David is undeserved, right? And how do we know this? We see this in verse three, that the, kind, the kindness that, Mephibosheth, that David seeks to show Mephibosheth is a specific type of kindness. It's, it's, it says in verse three, it's the kindness of God. We'll also see Mephibosheth's response to David in verses six through eight. We also see that it's an undeserving kindness that Mephibosheth recognized that this was an undeserving kindness that he received from David. So what is this kindness? For this kindness, the Hebrew word for it is chesed, right? It's this unfailing love, this loyal love, this devotion, it's kindness. It's often based on a, on a prior relationship, especially a covenant relationship. So when we see this word in scripture, it's often translated as mercy, it can be translated as kindness, even loving kindness, steadfast love. See, this kindness, this is what God, it's an attribute of God that he reveals in his self 
self-disclosure in Exodus 34, verse 6. This is what God says about himself, right, when he reveals himself to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, the attributes of God is this steadfast love, this kindness. He abounds in it. But not only does God abound in this steadfast love, he also shows it to his covenant people. You see that in Deuteronomy 7, 9. It says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So here, this loving kindness, this kessed, it's not just a matter of obligation and a covenant. It's also a matter of generosity. It's not only just a matter of of loyalty, it's a matter of mercy. There, David, one who has received this loving kindness, this keset from God, he understood this. You know, in the Bible, in the Psalms especially, it speaks of this keset. You know, these are Psalms are meant to be sung. And we see David, as he, he penned these Psalms, he spoke often of this keset, this, this loving kindness. See, in Psalm 51, right, when David says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Right? We know the context of the Psalm 51 after David's sin with Bathsheba. Right? And we see David here appealing to the Lord's loving kindness. You know, it's, it's, it's only against this, this backdrop of of sin and iniquity, that David truly understood this kindness of God. And we see again in Psalm 25, verses 6 and 7, David says, Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. See, David knew the depth of his sins and the wickedness of his own heart. This is why he's often and continuously, he praised and he thanked God. And he sung of this loving kindness, this kesed. Again, we see in Psalm 38, verse 1, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. So just as David could testify to the greatness of the kesed of God, this loving kindness of God towards sinners, we too can, we should testify to the greatness of this kesed that we have received through and in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Here's that glorious but again. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We, too, 
have experienced and we can know and we can sing. And praise God for this kesed, for this loving kindness that we have received, even though once we were God's enemies, even now that we still have sinned, God has shown us kindness, that God has not repaid us. God has not repaid us evil, even though we have shown him evil. And because we all, just like David, has received this loving kindness, you know, David had the songs. He sung of them. He sung of the loving kindness of God. We have our songs too, right? Isn't that why we sung earlier, even this morning? Oh, oh, oh. It's better. Or whoa. It's better than life. <laughs> so much better. Jesus, your loving kindness is better than life. Can you testify? Did you sing that song this morning? Honestly, from the heart that Jesus, that his loving kindness is better than life itself. I pray that you could sing that and that you could sing it from the heart and that you meant it. Then indeed, Jesus' loving kindness, is, it, it, it's better than life. Because apart from Jesus' loving kindness, we don't have life. We are dead in our sins and in our trespasses. Jesus Christ is life. Eternal life is to know God and know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Thank God that he has sought us, Right? He has saved us and he has given us that we have this life through Jesus. Let's not just stop there just a singing of this loving kindness. We also should show this loving kindness towards others. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Mephibosheth, he knew, he understood that he was not worthy of David's kindness. We see this. Note how Mephibosheth responds to David in the beginning in in verse 6. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face, paid homage. He fell on his face before the king. Now that's what we would call FaceTime. I pray that we would engage in FaceTime. And I'm talking about the Apple iPhone FaceTime. I'm talking about getting on our face before the king, before the king Jesus who has all authority. I don't want to be legalistic or anything, but sometimes when we pray often, right, we might find ourselves sitting or maybe, you know, we're praying in the car or, you know, these things are all good. Continue to pray, but Really, when is the last time that, you know, you've gotten on your knees, put your face in the ground and recognize that when you approach Jesus, you're approaching a king who has all authority. He's God. And I just pray that we not get too familiar with Jesus, just nonchalant, just approach him any type of way, that we give him the reverence and the worship that is due him. Continue on. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. Yeah. Behold, we go before the king. I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. He paid homage and said, what is your servant 
that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. See, Mephibosheth, he worshiped the king even before David had made him aware that he was going to show kindness to him. He fell on his face. It's the same way. The king, if the Lord doesn't do anything for us, we should worship him just because he's worthy, just because he is the king. See, Mephibosheth, he recognized that he was a servant for King David before he even received anything. He says, behold, I am your servant. And then Mephibosheth, after receiving this promise of kindness from King David, he didn't mistakenly attribute this kindness being a result of his own merit. All right, he says in, in verse 8, he refers to himself as a, as, a, as a dead dog. He says, who am I? I'm a dead dog. There's, there's nothing in me. I have no merit. I'm not good. I'm not anybody that you should show kindness towards me. I pray that we would have that same attitude for our king, for Jesus. Who are we? We'd be amazed that the king would show kindness to us. We learned about divine kindness. Another point we learned about divine kindness is that it's unfailing. You see, David's kindness towards Mephibosheth, it was, it was ongoing. Right? We see this towards the end of our text in verses 9 through 13. Verse 7, David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Right? So we see Mephibosheth was welcomed at David's table always. Verse 10, and you, referring to Ziba, and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Again, we see this emphasized. Mephibosheth was always able and welcome at David's table. Verse 13, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. To hear David's kindness towards Mephibosheth, very generous, right? But it was also temporal. We see that Mephibosheth, uh, the land of Saul is restored to Mephibosheth, right? That's kind. That's the generosity that David has shown towards Mephibosheth. We see that he has the seat at the king's table. Again, kindness, generosity that David has shown towards Mephibosheth. When we think of Jesus' kindness towards us, it's not only generous, but it is eternal. It's everlasting. It's not like David's kindness towards Mephibosheth that runs out. See, Mephibosheth received the land of Saul back. Sooner or later, Mephibosheth would die, and that land would be passed on to someone else. 
we have received the earth. We see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. See here, God is making all things new. He's creating new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. We shall inherit the earth. We shall live forever in a new Jerusalem. We see in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take to you myself that where I am, you may be also. See, we'd have an inheritance that is better than just a plot of land in the Middle East. We have an inheritance that's undefiled, it's incorruptible, that we have a home with Jesus forever and ever that can never be taken away. That's the divine kindness. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, this kindness that David David showed towards Mephibosheth, as long as Mephibosheth was alive, he was welcome at the table. But sooner or later, right, he would die. No longer would he eat at the king's table. For us, we have been welcomed at the king's table. We even see a picture of that in the Lord's Supper and communion. But ultimately, we will see it in heaven. We are at this marriage supper of the Lamb. We have been invited. We have been chosen because of this divine kindness that the Lord has shown us. It can never be taken away from us. Always forever, we will be welcomed to the table. And we see Mephibosheth, his relationship to King David, it was more of a, a virtual one, but it was more real than Manti Teo's relationship. But see, our relationship right, to King Jesus is, is a reality. See, Mephibosheth, he was like one of David's sons, but he wasn't David's son. See, we have been adopted, right? We are sons of the Most High. We see in verse 11, so Mephibosheth, he ate at David's table. It says, like one of the king's sons, like one of the king's sons. We are sons of the king. We sit at the table as one who is a son. And it's only because of this divine kindness that God has shown us in and through Christ. See this again in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. If a son, then an heir through God. See, Mephibosheth's servants, they didn't receive this kindness. They weren't invited to the table. They didn't receive the lamb. See, we are sons of the most high. We have been invited. We are more than just servants and slaves. We are sons of almighty God. Finally, we see, note in verse 13, how this ends, that Mephibosheth was lame. In both his feet. You see, David's kindness towards Mephibosheth was generous. It was, it was abundant. 
the way that it ends, he's not able to heal Mephibosheth. But the good news of the gospel and of the divine kindness and Jesus' kindness towards us is that it heals us. I see Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. You see, the kindness that we have received is a kindness that heals us, it transforms us, it changes us, it saves us. So this is why we should praise the Lord for this divine kindness. Because it is, it is an unnatural kindness. It's, it's, it's an unexpected kindness. It's an undeserving kindness. And it's an unfailing kindness. And I just pray that we would thank and praise God for this kindness.